0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Media Voices. I'm Esther Thorpe, one-third of the Media Voices team, and I'm really excited to introduce the first episode of this four-part series looking at future-proofing local news, supported by the Google News Initiative. Over the next few weeks, we'll be talking to some of the publishers working to find resilient business models, how they've evolved company culture and practice to do this, and what tools and trends they're working with to prepare for the next decade. Now even if local news isn't your bag, there are still some real deep dives into internal transformation, fostering collaboration, and lessons about the importance of good content to mean that there's something for everyone to take away, so do stay tuned. This first episode, though, is a big picture look at the state of the market. Just to note too that we've chosen to speak to primarily UK and European publishers as the local news markets elsewhere in the world are incredibly varied. If you're interested in US local news specifically, we already have a special documentary episode on saving local news in the US, which we'll link to in the show notes on Voices.media. And just a final note to say, please excuse my pronunciation of some publications throughout the episode. It's not my strong point. So let's get into it. Here, we're going to look at some of the historical context around local news, shifts in the UK and European markets, and what good local news might look like. First up, we spoke to Doug Smith, lead architect at TableStakes. TableStakes is a programme for local and regional news organisations to help them drive digital revenue growth by refocusing on audiences. Over 30 organisations have taken part in TableStakes Europe in partnership with the Google News Initiative Digital Growth Programme. As well as leading TableStakes Europe, Doug has also led it in the US and has worked with hundreds of organisations on innovation, strategy and growth in industries undergoing huge changes. Here, he gives us a big picture overview of how the local news market got to this point.
1: As a taking off point in the United States, 20 years ago, the technology tsunami wave crashed over journalism uh, and news media broadly. That includes local, but it goes beyond local. Once we had search and social platforms, news was disintermediated. People could go direct to one another and to the platforms uh, to get news and information. We all know that. It's also the case that if you look at print, so newspapers, uh, and if you looked at TV, not radio and not magazines, but TV and print, uh, newspapers, from the late 1940s through the 1990s into the 21st century, were oligopolistic market structures, which means a few players controlled the lion's share of the markets. This is crucial because that was not the case uh, with newspapers 100 years ago. Uh, There was tremendous local competition the market structure was competitive not oligopolistic or even monopolistic depending where you were what happens when the markets move toward oligopoly you have few competitors controlling the market that's when there's a heightened sensitivity to what in journalism is known as church versus state the the newsroom uh, versus what was called for so long the business side. That's all because of First Amendment concerns. And that's also because of concerns about corruption, uh, about advertisers or whomever having undue influence on the news content, on the editorials uh, uh, perspective, etc. We all know this. This is crucial because from the late 40s through, for 50 years, 50 years, Quite literally, if you looked at the organization chart, the hierarchy, the structure of a news enterprise, there was only one general manager, the CEO or the publisher, depending on title. We used organization structure to divide, literally divide those who produced the content from those who earned the revenue. Okay, get to the late 1990s when the digital tsunami wave hits. Now you're in a situation where any news enterprise, there's an absolute premium on innovation, on figuring it out. I've worked in more than 60 industries and fields in all three sectors for profit, NGO, government. I can't think of any industry or field in which I've worked that had the juxtaposition of blowing up the business at a time when you only had one general manager. That general manager perspective is crucial to innovation and change. It just should make common sense to everybody that if you don't have people who are thinking of the whole enterprise, they're going to be less adept at figuring out what to do. So that's the Big, big backdrop to what it, what what occurred in the in the U.S. and the in Europe. There are similarities to that,
0: but it's not just management structures that have got us to this point. Doug points out that in the U.S. there were some complex financial pressures, which is still having an impact today.
1: What's the other th- byproduct? Wonderful byproduct of oligopolistic market structures. If you're an oligopolistic player a monopolistic player, you make a lot of money. I mean, if you went back to the 1970s or 80s in the newspaper business, many people would say they don't print newspapers, they print money. So you have oligopolistic financial performance. It just goes with any any market structure like that, whether you're talking automobiles, breakfast cereal, whatever. That, that and Now, today, the uh, search and social platforms, they print money, right? because of their market power. So a couple of more things happened. One, there was consolidation that was going on in the 80s and 90s because these profit making machines were very attractive. So many groups started buying other groups, and they bought them on the premise of cash flow from what was before, not what was to come after. So many overpaid and incurred a lot of debt. The other thing that happened in the US was a lot of pension liabilities built up that were very affordable to uh, cash machines, um, became less so. So you had a couple of things. You had owners with very, very high expectations for returns. You had debt and pension obligations that were quite heavy. When you now go to what is in fact a competitive market structure, and indeed even worse than that because of the dominance of the platforms you're a tiny little competitor compared to what happened to all the advertising the classified and and so on this is why that in the late 90s going into early 2000s the business model is broken the business model is broken we have to find a new business model this is why there were all those things what i'm trying to point out is decision makers were all of a sudden thrust into a different set of waters. And their own expectations and their own ways of thinking were not really applicable. And yet, from a legacy mindset standpoint, it kept going.
0: So what was one of the first things that happened? Publishing's original sin.
1: 99% of newspapers gave their content away for free on the web. 99%. And because why? Because they thought, oh, well, this is interesting. This is a channel to get people to subscribe to our print newspaper. That's really what they thought. Now, this doesn't make them stupid, it just makes them human. 99%. I mean, it, it, it wasn't like 50 50 and there was a debate. That has such repercussions because that started happening in the late 1990s. It takes 20 years before the majority of local newspapers are starting to put up paywalls, 20 years. Think deeply for a moment about that. For 20 years, newspapers communicated to new audiences, it's free, trained new audiences to expect news and information for free. At a kind of a deep level, this again was not intentional, But at a kind of a very deep level, the publishers were putting zero value on their product.
0: Let's zoom in a little bit and look at the state of local news in Europe. Here's a last word from Doug on why there's such a difference between the state of local news there and the much better known challenges publishers face in the United States.
1: Europe is different from the United States because in the United States, we have 350 million people the majority, the vast majority of whom speak a single language. So yes, we have uh, many Hispanic speaking people and and some other immigrant populations with with different languages. It's nothing like Europe. Come on, just look at a map of Europe and you're looking at a map of languages. That actually crucially matters to all of this because uh, I know I'm stating generalizations. There are many, many contrary points. Uh, but from a big picture perspective, Europe has a, a more vital continuing reality to local identities than the U.S. does. So that really is crucial f- for the table stakes Europe work because the local media, even regional or national media in Europe, have a competitive advantage in language that doesn't exist for Arkansas or Washington or Idaho.
0: In Germany, there's also been a concerning decline in subscriptions. Local newspapers used to be a dominant source of local news, but despite decline, there's still a need for local information. Professor Dr. Vibke Moving, Professor of Journalism at Teo Dortmund Institute for Journalism, explains.
2: We We see a very a concerning declining of the subscriptions, especially for a newspaper. Maybe just to make clear, local newspapers were till now the main and very dominant source of getting proper local news. And um, yeah, we, we see a decline. And on the other hand, we see a rise of the need for local information. And that's quite of a dilemma you have on the one hand you have a very high rise and very you have very high numbers of people who say they are very interested in what happens uh, in their local surroundings and on the other hand we have the decline of uh, the local newspapers and we see the struggling of um, local medias that were funded now and they are looking for new um, yeah, finance, business, uh, business models, and we see the struggling of getting well paid or at yeah. least paid. Uh, let's <laughs> let's not say well paid. Um, so that's that's really um, yeah, it's it's a problem and it's a dilemma.
0: Germany doesn't have the problem of news deserts, where large regions are without a news source, in the same way that the US has, but the industry has faced a lot of consolidation in the country, and this is reflected across many other European countries.
2: The the local newspaper market is in Germany is on another ground than maybe that in the U.S. We have um, around 300 uh, newspaper titles and they are covering... Right now, we have no news deserts like maybe in the U.S. So it's right now till now we have, let's say, in every little community, there is the possibility to get some news in a newspaper. But <laughs> and, uh, I, I do have to comment this. We have a decline. May I, I don't have the right number right now um, on my head, but it's uh we see uh, um over the last 10 or let's say 15 years uh, a, a concentration process. Um and there there is a couple of title that yeah vanished um or that's the the, the more common way title that they work together now, and um, every every new they they both uh, titles um, keep their own titles, but they work together in one unit. So it looks like uh, they were different titles, but in fact, um, there's a lot of common uh, and shared uh, content because of the fact that the distribution areas are getting bigger and bigger because the title work together they have less resources at least human resources to covering this the whole area in a proper way so they then send maybe freelancers but because they're not paying a proper a proper salary it's like you often have um non professional freelancers then especially in the sub local areas and um, that is a problem if it's not comes to covering maybe the cultural um, topics. I think it's fine for, for that. But if it comes to watch and to comment what is going on on political area and and uh, we have a strong, yeah the, the lowest ground of a democracy, it's like kommunal Ebene, um, covering the political processes on the municipal level that have to be done by a professional so at least that you that you know what questions you have to ask what what rights do you have when it comes to deeper uh, research and
0: um, stuff like that Dr Vibke believes that the root of the issue both in Europe and elsewhere is that news organizations forgot about the needs of their users something which left them exposed as the digital age began
2: maybe one big mistake is that I think for too long newspaper houses trusted on their importance. They yeah they, they just weren't thinking of that people might think it's irrelevant to have good journalism. Because from our democratic perspective there is of course a highly need for proper well done Good uh, professional journalism because people need to be informed in a good way to perform in a democratic way, and that is from a from this perspective. There's no way that um, good local journalism is is a very highly need and a very important one. But from the perspective of of the the use newsers, it's like I think. When, when I took my first classes in local journalism as a student, I already learned, and that is now over 30 years ago, there was a warning that newspapers has to watch properly if they fit the needs of the users. So they were asked and they were pleaded to put more the perspective of the users into their decisions. And I would say you can now, even now, 30 years later, you can offer the same recommendation to newspaper houses because they aren't very good in change themselves. But coming to the point, what's going on? And if there are some good news, um, I think that there is some change right now because the economic problems are so high now because it's if you don't have money to do good journalism or to do journalism at all you you have to rethink your business model on the one hand side and then you have to rethink your product and i think this is right now so obvious that um in in the in the bigger media houses as well as like in in the little ones they really try to, to find out what, it, what are new ways, like WhatsApp newsletters, like um, podcast is a very big thing in German right now. It's over the last years, local podcast, like that you, on the way to, to the work, you can just put on your headphones and there's someone who reads in half an hour all the important news for you, whatever's going on in your neighbourhood, so that you, when you are at work, you're informed about your city.
0: Another European publisher we'll hear from over this series is Roy Catrinneuf Strasbourg, a local news site covering Strasbourg, a city in northeastern France. Co founder Pierre France explained that other major regional sources in the country didn't go into much depth, which opened up an opportunity for them.
3: Well, I think it's the bet on in depth journalism. That's something uh, at the local level. Uh, people don't have much. Uh, uh, if you if you look at the, the news uh, ecosystem, you have one major source, which is in Strasbourg, uh, the dernière nouvelle d'Alsace DNA. Uh, they produce daily news on a daily basis, obviously, but they don't produce much in depth. It's mostly surface news. What has happened? It's day-to-day coverage. And they don't produce uh, long form. They don't produce uh, inquiries. They don't produce uh, uh, long interviews. Uh, they don't uh, produce four articles on one subject, for example. So when we started to do that, uh, we had a lot of uh, of success, uh, because some of the people of Strasbourg, uh, uh, which often uh, are the same uh, who read the news, uh, it's it's not all the people of Strasbourg, but a, a fraction of it, likes it, you know, to have in depth journalism, very important matters of the city being uh, seriously followed. And they, uh, that principle didn't change. The regional press is, uh, is a bit of both. Uh, it has uh, regional matters and uh, local pages. But the, the thing is, is that the metropolitan area is not very uh, much covered. Uh, the metropolitan issues, you know, they have uh, an ancient way of uh, segmenting the news with geographical coverage while we are segmenting the news uh, with community uh, centering. So uh, what we do, we speak to people from Strasbourg, but it can be of subject that that are happening uh, uh, hundreds of kilometers from. We we do cover with the, the, the prism of being from Strasbourg. So it changes a bit and it changes the way we we relate to the news and we think uh, it's a better way of segmenting the news.
0: Here in the UK, there are yet another varying set of pressures on local news, which we'll explore in this section. Some of those pressures are very obvious, as we'll hear in a moment. But there are also plenty of green shoots. Benedict Autreux, Google's head of news partnerships for the UK, Ireland and Northern Europe, gives her big picture perspective. We did
4: some work with the consulting of BFT, uh, looking at a project that is called the Sustainability Diagnostic, or the Sustainability Project. And they interviewed about 400 publishers of all size and shape uh, across the world. And then they came up with a list of archetypes and also trends into what, what they were seeing, it's fair to say that I suppose the local news sector has historically been more linked to ad revenue as a the stream. And that's proven to be very challenging uh, in, the, in the recent years. So I think from that perspective, you can see the pressure mounting on those, those type of publishers. So when they took the diagnostic so financial sustainability diagnostic, you could see that the sustainability index was much lower if they had less diversification of revenue and relying on ad advertising. We do see also some um, green shoots uh, at a hyperlocal uh, level that are very interesting and that are you know experimenting with new model. Uh, and the other thing that we saw was one of the positive effect of the pandemic. Was that deeper connection with the reader that suddenly was uh, emphasized? And I think that gives me hope for the longer term sustainability. But I only need to look at the UK market and frankly, you see the consolidation happening right in front of your eyes.
0: And I do, I do worry. We asked Benedict if she was seeing these big UK trends affect the other European markets. Maybe in the Nordics.
4: In the Nordics, I think they've got, um, a much stronger connection with their readers. And obviously they, they, you know, they've diversified much earlier into the reader revenue strength, which is quite an interesting because it makes them much more resilient. I think it's happening everywhere, but maybe cross countries. So I'm thinking, for example, of, uh, Mediahus who bought, you know, um, I think it's the Aachen Zeitung in Germany. And then I believe uh, Bonnier News is acquiring, you know, some local news assets uh, in different countries. So still a little bit of element, but probably less than in
0: the UK. Back in 2018, a major review into the sustainability of high quality journalism in the UK was launched, called the Cairn Cross Review. It made nine proposals to save the news industry, some of which the government chose to support, others which it didn't. A group of independent publishers then came together and formed the Public Interest News Foundation in November 2019, with the aim of helping independent news providers and improving public understanding of their work. Executive Director Jonathan Hewood outlined some of the issues the Cairncross Review found with UK local news.
5: Frances Cairncross was commissioned by the government to look at the state of public interest journalism and she came back saying, well, it's not a very good state, there's a market failure, particularly at local level, where the economies of the digital media just do not work. If you're you know aiming at an audience of 30, 50,000 people, you're not ever going to get the scale that you need to generate significant ad revenue and nor does it really work. If you're going down the niche route, you know a, a small proportion of 30 or 50,000 people is not very many people, so that's not really sustainable either. So there is something really, really you know really tricky in the local market, actually called for government intervention, and the government basically sort of said, yes, but no, um, we're not going to go down that road. The long-term challenge for us is that, so what, three or four years on now, we've obviously been through the pandemic, we're not in a great position economically as a country, and we don't have that culture of journalism philanthropy that you see in the United States, where there's hundreds of millions of dollars a year going into the sector, so it's still very early days in, in the UK. But I think the, the part of the job that I enjoy the most is still working with those smaller indie publishers. They're just a sort of really fantastic bunch of people. If anything gives me cause for optimism, it's it's their, their infectious optimism, even if it's sometimes you know, optimism in the face of experience.
0: Whatever challenges the industry is facing, optimism is important as is a recognition that local news still plays a vital part in many communities. Craig Walker is the editor of Press and Journal, a daily regional newspaper covering Northern and Highland Scotland, published by DC Thompson. He emphasised how important a role their titles still play in not just news and campaigning, but celebrating good news stories.
6: Ultimately for me, without local news... You wouldn't have the the level of scrutiny on decisions being made by local and national governments, which impact people's everyday lives. I think of course, people campaign for good and that, you know, can't stop and should always continue. But local journalism, local news brands were able to to grab a good cause and to, to really mobilize that support very quickly. And um, to be that voice for good and to, to support good causes as well i think you know a couple of couple of examples just spring to mind sort of ongoing examples that our titles are, are involved in and i think um for, for the press and journal um inverness is the only scottish city that doesn't have a dual carriageway or motorway links the change has been promised by the uk government before devolution even happened and by the scottish government as well for more than 15 years now but we're still waiting and you know ultimately people of the north of scotland are still waiting um and after delay after delay holdups we decided to launch a campaign calling for for action to duel the a9 and that was just giving the people of the north that extra voice and being able to put that extra scrutiny and you know on on the government that's one aspect i think or one campaign i think another one to highlight is our sister sister title the the Courier in Dundee they've been campaigning for a number of years for an independent public inquiry after a, a surgeon at an NHS site harmed um, a huge number of patients. This was finally granted by the Scottish government just last week and it means that the victims will have the opportunity for the, the health board's failings to be scrutinized and I think you know I really do think that without that level of scrutiny and giving people a voice that that, that wouldn't have happened. Um I think it's been able to to put the pressure on um, people in power to make sure that something does happen and that people are held accountable. I think as well, you know, local news were there to to celebrate as well. You know, we're absolutely there to, to tell good stories. And um I think, you know, for us it's all about the mix. Um you can focus on the bad and you can highlight where things need to be improved. But I think, you know, you have to provide that different content mix, that different journey through your your site or your paper that does entertain as much as anything else as well.
0: We'll be hearing from more DC Thompson staff later in this series about the importance of the different types of content that local news titles produce. But back to some of the big picture issues. Jonathan Hewood notes that the UK is also struggling with a triopoly of local news companies, which in turn is impacting public perception of the sector.
5: What worries me is that at the moment you've got three companies between them still controlling the vast majority of the legacy newspaper sector, And that's a problem, not only in terms of the economics of it, but in terms of how they actually run those businesses, that has a huge impact on how people perceive local media. So if people think, well, yeah, local media is where I go to find out what Time Strictly is on, and occasionally there's a Kim Kardashian story, and there's some crime stories, And, and every now and then there's a really great story of local journalists who are bothered to sit in courtrooms for month after month following cases like the Lucy Letby case, or journalists who are holding sort of thorough counsel to account and realising that they've blown hundreds of millions of pounds. But those stories are going to get lost in that overall kind of Absolutely. miasma. And then, like, everyone loses because the small, noble-spirited people that are trying to build a better culture just get swamped because people think, oh, local news, that's rubbish. I'm not very keen on the model where three companies call all the shots. But I think we've got to look slightly more creatively for ways to work with them they are, they are the reality. We can't, we can't work around them, and the indie publishers are going to continue to be sort of pushing very hard up a downhill slope if the culture is being set by those companies, and as I say, particularly by their shareholders, not necessarily by the editors and the execs, who so in many cases are desperate to do a good job.
0: One of the more unusual challenges UK local news organisations have had to contend with is public notices. David Floyd, Managing Director at community interest company Social Spider, explains how this is stifling revenue for some genuine local news publishers.
7: Well, there's, 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 there's two things. I, I, suppose, I suppose one is that currently we have quite a distorted system in terms of the advertising market because we have you know, public notice advertising, which is the the, the single yeah. biggest source of advertising income at a, at a council level and that is currently subject to quite an archaic system where it can only go out through local news publications that uh, publish at least um, every two weeks or more frequently. Uh, so so the, the, the current situation is if you publish a, a weekly newspaper, which you know, distributes 800 copies, as, as some of the, the corporate publishers do, uh, you know, in a borough with you know, 250,000 residents, you know, you're, you're eligible for a, an annual public notice contract, which 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 might be worth eighty, ninety, hundred thousand pounds a year. If you publish a monthly newspaper distributing fifteen thousand copies, or if you distributed twenty-five thousand copies, that doesn't make you able to take on that that advertising. And that's obviously, you know, it, you know that that setup in that anomaly is not anyone's fault. It's not a kind of uh, evil conspiracy. It is a sort of archaic um, thing that is in place, but. In, from the industry's point of view, the industry has, uh, has been fighting to make sure public notices continue to exist and that the government just doesn't abolish it. And that's a, you know, a very reasonable argument for industry leaders to have been making. But in the process, in areas such as London in particular, but lots of other areas outside the bigger cities, you know, the effect of that has been to effectively prop up these zombie publications which don't do any news reporting, but also i are, are getting very minimal advertising income beyond the public notices and nationally syndicated advertising. And it's not like these corporate groups surviving on a public notice contract are actually selling lots of locally based advertising either. It, it, it really is just um, the public notices that are propping these publications up. So that's a real problem.
0: One of the terms we hear a lot these days regarding local news, especially when talking about legacy organisations, is managed decline. But David thinks this is simply the companies reacting to market conditions, and that it is those conditions which need changing to promote sustainable local news.
7: A listed company is always going to react to the market conditions, and the way that some of the corporates in their managed decline model are reacting to the, the market conditions is a logical reaction to the conditions that have been, that have been set up. So it, it's not really for me to criticise them. It's more to say, how do we change the market conditions so that we reward journalism? For me, my agenda is not that corporate local media groups should go away. I, I, I think in some form they need to exist and they have a positive role to play. It's that are the structures that we have in place rewarding publishers for producing journalism rather than rewarding them for archaically for, for services which don't really exist anymore. If I was running a, a corporate group, I can definitely see the point of uh, continuing to, to churn out a minimal print publication at a London borough area with no local journalism in it to, to scoop up the public notice income, because that's a, that's a logical reaction to the market. And that doesn't make the people involved bad or evil. But it does mean that we should change that market because that that stuff is there as a subsidy public notices are there as a subsidy but currently in that setup they're not subsidizing journalism they're subsidizing a minimal bit of infrastructure which tiny numbers of people are reading so 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 that's a problem but i I think in terms of the broader thing though there's yeah yeah definitely the question of managed decline versus you know, in effect, managed growth. And, 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 and the question for me is is looking at not so much railing against what corporate operators are doing, but more saying, is is there any way that we can look at what they're currently doing and actually operate that from the opposite direction? So, so can we look at, if we were going to start doing publications in additional London boroughs, what's the minimum level we can start at and then build something up? So, you know, we We might might start a new publication which operates in a broadly at a broadly similar level to what some of the corporates do so we, we might you know, not put a huge amount of editorial resource initially into a new publication, but then as that publication establishes itself at a minimum level, then gradually build it up and then find what is the maximum level of resource you can generate in that given area for journalism and then look to how we We spend that resource on creating a better and better product from a lower starting point. So I I think that's kind of how I look at it. I think ultimately my thinking on this is local news doesn't have to be bad. the, The products don't have to be as poor as some of the products currently are based on the money that is sloshing around in the system or the money that is reasonably available. So it's how do we get the maximum possible resource directed at supporting genuine local journalism.
0: It's all very well bemoaning the current state of the market, but what can we do to fix it? That's a question we hope to address over the following three episodes by looking at which companies have found resilient business models, what needs to change internally, and what tools are helping future-proof local media. For now, though, I want to finish this episode by looking at what vision our interviewees have for the local news landscape. Here's the Public Interest News Foundation's Jonathan Hearwood.
5: So we did this really interesting project where we went around the country, went to six different communities. And sort of rather than us saying, well, we know what we think good local news looks like, we tried to ask local people. And we talked about their memories of local news, those that were a certain age that had memories of local news about what they thought about it at present and what they thought it should be like in the future. In terms of the memories, you know, if you are of a certain age and you grew up when there was a sort of vibrant local newspaper, you probably at some point saw yourself in the paper. And that was quite a big moment. So for me, like my primary school won some kind of road safety competition and the photographer came from the Yorkshire Mm -hmm. Evening Press. And there we are out in the playground holding up this trophy, looking like idiots. And I remember him like perched on the wall of the playground, taking this photo. And it was it's a really kind of a special moment because like you know there we are in the school playground where I where I am spending all my t- life, and then suddenly there I am on the pages of this newspaper along with other stories about the York City football team and the council and the minster and so like, oh I see I'm part of something bigger than just this little playground. And loads of people have got stories like that when they were in sports competitions or music concerts or whatever so there's a generation of basically sort of 40 or above that have those memories the generation below that doesn't really have any particular sense of local news local news at present what people really 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 yearn for is a sense of sort of boots on the ground that you know reporters are actually there so a lot of it it's hard to put in terms of the actual content of the stories it's not necessarily what people are looking for is oh, I think the story should be sort of a nice 3,000 word kind of long form. I mean, so you see that at the Manchester Mill, that's what they do, they do it brilliantly. Maybe that's a model that works in other places or maybe that's just a particular niche that they've, they've met with a particular audience. It's not so much the common thread, it's about relationships, we want people that we can that we know and trust. People love the idea of having newsrooms that are present in the area, so what Rhiannon Davies is doing in Govern Hill with her community newsroom. I think is a brilliant example. They've just t- they've, t- they've taken over a small space just off the high street. Anyone can drop in, they use it for co-working, they use it for events. It actually is a revenue generator for the organization and it does fantastic work about building trust and visibility. So I think people are crying out for innovations like that. I think there is a general sense people would like they don't use use the term, but I think what they're talking about is solutions journalism. They do not like to see their area constantly put in a bad light and it's all about kind of crime and traffic accidents. People feel like that just okay, it's maybe it's all true and maybe those stories need to be in the mix, but is it the only thing to have in the mix? You know, it's like having a cake that's only made with sort of salt or something it's like where's the sugar you know where's 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 the butter? Where are the eggs? Where are all the nice ingredients as well go to make up the sense of of having some place that you might be proud of?
0: Social spider has its own view of good local news and it tries to build this into its operating practices as david floyd explains
7: there's three strands for us i mean i mean there's the the one that gets a lot of the Recognition and you know, is, is in the the Ken Cross reviews definition of public interest news, which is is really about the, the holding authority to account at a local level, so you know, scrutinising the activities of local councils and other public sector agencies and big businesses at a local level, so that you know things that are going on which are important to the public and important to society, but aren't necessarily you know going to generate millions of clicks beyond that local area are are reported on by journalists. So, so, so you know, that element, the, the scrutiny element, is is really, really important. I think alongside that, there's a community understanding element of you know making sure that, or giving the opportunity for people to know what's going on in their local area in a, in a broader sense. So, so we're not so much now in the situation of, can your local newspaper tell you whether there's been a fire down the road or, or that kind of thing. I think it's fine... You know, the local Facebook group can, can take that on there. That, that, that's not, that's not what, what local newspapers need to do, you know, certainly the weekly or monthly ones. But it's understanding what's going on in the sense of understanding who lives in, in the community, understanding what are the community organisations and activities that are going on, what are the local campaigns, what is the experience of living in your local area like for other people who live in the local area. And that, just that, that, in terms of that sense of belonging for people, you know, that that that, you know, that element of understanding and generating that sense of belonging is massively really important. And, and the third one is in terms of voice, and it's amplifying those voices in local communities that otherwise get ignored.
0: Now, good local news and sustainable local news aren't necessarily the same thing. In some countries, local coverage is heavily subsidised by grants or philanthropic donations. But is there a viable business model without these?
7: Whether publications could be sustainable at a borough level in a broader sense is, is a slightly different question, because to, to some extent it, it depends on how much that, that borough really wants a publication in terms of the combination of local residents and, and businesses and, and public sector agencies. So in Waltham Forest, where we've been going the longest in terms of our publications, that is our, our most successful publication in terms of, uh, in terms of income. And that's partly because we have the biggest number of supporters, you know, individual people paying on a monthly basis. I think there's around 300 people in, 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 Forest. So, so that, that gives a big, you know, big starting point that there's a, there's a decent chunk of money coming in, whatever happens with any of the other more commercial elements. But then it's also that there's, there's a wider group of local charities and small businesses and others who, who are recognizing the paper and um, are continuing to advertise in it. And, and, we're not within the group of publishers who are mourning the loss of all our lovely money that was taken away when when Google and Facebook and other social media platforms arrived. Because we started in 2014. We never had all that lovely money. It's always been a case of you know, how do we deal with what's there? How do we deal as best we can with the market that exists? And over the past sort of nine years, we've been getting better at doing that. We've been getting better at, Delivering value both to readers and to to local advertisers, so at the moment we still have a slight upward trajectory. But you know, there's obviously going to be, particularly in terms of print advertising, there's going to be a plateau for that. There's not it's not going to be a a reversal in the way that markets for print advertising work. But there definitely is enough money at a London borough level to do decent publications for 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 each borough to, to do something which involves employing at least one journalist locally. But whether you can do more than that, currently, if we had public notice income, we could employ two or three journalists at London Borough level. Um, I don't see a route back to the situation where publications were employing five or six journalists produce a weekly paper in, in London Borough. That that seems you know unlikely, unless very large numbers of people decide they, as readers, want to pay for it. And it's not, it's not impossible. I mean if if two or three thousand people yeah, at a London borough level decided they want to pay five pounds a month for, for a paper then then you could create an amazing product but currently we're, you know, we're not very close to that that happening
0: when looking at a playbook for good local news we also need to acknowledge that in many cases things are not as bad as we like to make out Table sticks as Doug Smith explains.
1: But in the US, there's a tendency to use the same story that's been used for over 20 years. Uh, things are falling apart. You know, So many journalists are, are, are losing their jobs. We have news deserts everywhere, or we have zombie news sites everywhere. The, the, the situation is dire. Democracy itself is actually down for the 10 count in the boxing ring and about to die this is the story. It, this is the story. Very importantly, there's a, a cultural trope within journalists of wanting to control the narrative, wanting to know what the narrative is and present the narrative. That's the narrative. And it's a narrative that persists in the U.S. Almost almost every time I read something, it's the same narrative. What's striking to me is that <laughs> the facts on the ground don't match the narrative. Now, are there news deserts that continue to grow? Yes. Are there journalists who lose jobs? Yes. Are there journalists who get jobs? Yes. Are there local newspapers who've turned themselves around? Yes. Uh, Is local news still more trusted than any other news source, both in the U.S. and in Europe? Yes. Are there examples of pretty amazing success and innovation that are happening? Yes. So the narrative is not so black and white as it's been told for 20 years. It's a little kind of confusing to tell you the truth about why the biggest voices seem to be immune from sharing a narrative that's a little bit more nuanced, a lot more nuanced, and crucially, more hopeful. Talking of hope,
0: there's even hope in news of the breakdown of some of the bigger companies opening up opportunities. This is something we've seen in both the UK and US, where the wider decline has spurred the formation of startups to both fill gaps and take on established titles with what they see as better coverage. Dr. Vivke Moving explains.
2: Over the last couple of, let's say, 10 years, we see that the the monopoly of local newspapers serving local news to people, it's vanished. And that's a good thing on the one hand side. It's because every company, every party, every interest group has now the possibility to get their news directly to the users. I think it's a good way from a democratic perspective, if, and that's then maybe the problem on the other hand side, if it's proper information and people have to learn to evaluate the sources and they have to learn which information they can trust on and which information is maybe framed with a certain perspective. And we see often that this evaluation is not going very well. <laughs> so people uh, believe in news or maybe not, maybe not let us use the word news. They are, let us use the word information there. Um, that they, they think every information is a proper journalistic news. That is a problem. And I think from all of this, and that comes to your question then. All of this is because of maybe all the frustration that is going on about how to get proper information and proper news. The trust and the the need for qualitative and professional journalism can arise. For certain groups in our um, society, maybe it's too late. I don't know if we can reach with journalism every um target group or or every every group in the society in a proper way and that is i think that is that is the the thing where where news houses now on a point they have to decide maybe it is not the way anymore with one product fits all they have to try to, to find ways to get the, the same, maybe the same information, but in, in different ways and um, distributed to different groups of people because they, they read different, they, they have to frame it a little bit different, they have to put it in another perspective.
0: Dr. Vibke is generally optimistic about the future of local information, but is less certain about paid local news, although she does have hope.
2: I think you can definitely see a high need. I don't know, maybe you had the same in the UK uh, during Corona. There was a highly, yeah, a highly need of, of local information. What is going on in my city, in my neighborhood, in my, uh, in my community? how can I behave in a proper way or how I have to behave? And all these questions and and there was a highly need of of trusting of information that are credible and that you can trust on. And I think um, local news companies should really try to be worth the credibility that people till now give them. So I'm, I'm. It's a little bit mixed, but I really hope that my grandchilds will have a news, uh, a new source. I, I wouldn't say a newspaper, but a new source, um, with a professional and um, credible uh, background.
0: Some of the research the Public Interest News Foundation are doing shows that many local news organisations are on the path to sustainability, but this path needs speeding up, as Jonathan Hewood explains.
5: So we've got two major strands of research. One is the annual index that we've been doing for three years now. So that's an index of the independent sector. And by independent, we simply mean outlets in the UK with turnover below £2 million that are publishing public interest news, loosely defined on a regular basis. So that we're into the third year of that now. We're starting to see some trends coming through. So, I mean, the first the first big takeaway is that these organisations are Really, quite small. So, typical turnover is eighty nine thousand pounds a year. Now, that's actually skewed upwards by the outlets in the sector which are aiming at a more national or even international audience. Um, sites like the, the Conversation or Open Democracy or Byline Times, which are doing you know sort of deeper, more investigative, more political journalism, they might be generating in revenue in the hundreds of thousands or in, in the, even in the low millions but below that is the is the local part of the sector which tends to have much lower turnover than 89,000 employees sort of two and a half people heavily reliant on volunteers but it is growing it's growing at a very modest rate over those few years that we've been doing it we've seen growth of sort 10-20%. Of so if you continue on that trajectory by about the middle of this century you know you get to a point where you've got a bunch of sustainable news organisations I guess our concern is that we haven't really got that long to wait and what can we do to accelerate uh, growth in the next few years, not the next few decades. But but there are promising signs.
0: I want to wrap up with a few final big-picture thoughts on local news. The first is from Doug Smith, who wants to remind us that direct relationships are a gift that we shouldn't take for granted.
1: What's fascinating and again, to me, so hopeful about the effort underway to revitalize local news in the 21st century is that one way of thinking about it is that the whole newsroom and their colleagues and the business and everything were like focused on a door, a physical object, a door that, that was the printed paper. On the other side of that door was the general public, you know. But our whole focus was on the door. In today's world, with an audience's first approach, there are no doors. There's direct relationship with real people about what matters in their lives. Uh, This is a gift of enormous, enormous proportions to journalists. It's a gift. And we're saying, grab it.
0: Benedict Autre also had some final advice from her time working with local news organisations at Google.
4: I would say start speaking to your readers and trying to find out what they want. Because it struck me that, you know, that feedback loop doesn't exist very much. But, you know, from speaking to a few of the CEOs in local news here in the UK, this doesn't strike me as a something that is happening systematically. And so, to me, if you understand what your readers' needs are, then you can design your strategy that will uh, give you more
0: sustainable revenue models. It's also important to remember that one of the complexities, but also the beauties of local news, is that there's not one model that will work for each country or even each region.
4: What is true in the south of England might be completely different from Liverpool or Manchester or Leeds. You know, the community's makeup is very different depending on where you go. And, and the challenges and the opportunities, the good stories are very different from one region to the other. So what might be true everywhere is that you should not rely on one revenue model but I have a uh, healthy revenue mix
0: that's all for this episode thank you so much to our guests for their input and to my co-host Peter Houston for the many hours he spent conducting the interviews if this is your first introduction to media voices then hello <laughs> it's lovely to have you we publish three seasons of interviews with the leading media guests each year the first of which is starting in a couple of weeks for 2024 we also have a daily newsletter online community forum, reports, and regular analysis published over on our website, Voices.media. And if you're not new here, welcome back. A final thanks to the Google News Initiative, who are supporting this series. They work with publishers and journalists to fight misinformation, share resources, and build a diverse and innovative news ecosystem. You can find out more about their programs, tools, and resources at newsinitiative.withgoogle.com. We'll be back next Wednesday with the second part of this series, looking at the publishers working to find resilient business models, the opportunities and challenges they're facing, the importance of good content, and building communities. Until then, goodbye.